listening to this online sermon right now. Father, I pray that whatever things they have going on in their life, whether they are filled with fear, Lord, whether they are, are, are worried about what is to come next, whether they're worried about stepping outside because of the virus that is being spread, Lord, I pray, God, that you would calm their worries and their anxiety, that your peace that passes all understanding will guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray today as we, we see this Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah, being fulfilled in the New Testament with Christ's birth, Lord, that we would see that you truly are the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Father, I pray that you would move in a powerful way during this time. We love you, Lord, and we bless you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So in looking at this, series, this sermon today in Luke chapter 2, we're going to see how the promised redeemer of Isaiah chapter 9 is fulfilled in the divine birth of Christ Jesus in Bethlehem. So if you're taking notes at home, I pray you are, you'll see there that the first point is the promised redeemer arrives in the humblest way. The promised redeemer arrives in the humblest way. Let's look again at verses 1 through 3. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. So we see here in these first three verses that Rome has requested or demanded this decree to go out so that the whole world should be registered. See, Rome at that time, they looked at this as an opportunity for them to figure out how many people there were so that all these people could be registered so that a census would be taken for the purpose of taxation. We're in the middle right now of going through a process of a census here in the United States. And here at this time, they send out this decree, and it's all to be done where all of the people must be registered to his own town. Now look at verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee... From the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David. Being the house and lineage of David is very, very important because all of the Old Testament prophecies pointed to the Messiah that would come through that lineage. And so we have this moment where we see that God's prophecies of the Messiah is about to be fulfilled in what we read here in the word of God. Now, Joseph was from Galilee as this member of this lineage, and he's going to Bethlehem to be registered to follow this procedure that has been requested. Verse 5 says, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, if you're reading through Luke's account in the Gospels, you can see in chapter 1, and I would encourage you to go back and read that. You, if you were here in December, you actually heard as we preached through that opening first part of chapter 1, how Gabriel goes to Mary. And when he goes to Mary, he tells her of what is about to take place with her. That she has favor with God. And that she is going to have Jesus. How the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow her, even though she is a virgin. And so she is with child, and that is Jesus. And we see here that it says that she is betrothed to Joseph. She is promised to him. It's, it's this 
uniting together. They are not officially married yet, but they are betrothed to one another. And so Mary goes with Joseph because they are going to be married. Verse 6 tells us, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. You know, from reading this, we see, if we're just reading it without looking at an, a big size view and, and really examining what the text is telling us, we can just read verse 6 and we can see that it just so happens that the timing of Jesus' birth happens while they're in Bethlehem. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and his word, as, as many of us do, you know that there is an appointed time for everything. You know that God is sovereign over all things, and you know that this was God's divine plan at this moment for this to take place. You know, it takes place in Bethlehem, and that's not just by chance. No, 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 this is God's perfect timing. God is using this timing to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. Because the Old Testament points to the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. For example, the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, who is coming forth from of old, from ancient days. Scripture shows us that the Messiah Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. This isn't by chance that the census comes about at this time. No, God's perfect plan is being established in this moment. It is being fulfilled. And so they are on the way to Bethlehem, and this is coming to pass, and it's time for her to give birth. Now look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Here is where we see how the promised Redeemer arrives in the humblest of ways. See, this is the most miraculous event in history. This is an amazing time in history where God comes to earth in the flesh. Jesus Christ is born. This is the moment where the God of all creation comes to walk among the people. Being born in this moment. But when we see here that he's being born, it says that she wraps him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there's no place for them in the end. You see... The end at this time, because of the census, the, everything that is going on, so many people have come to Bethlehem. So many people are there. So all these rooms are filled. There's no place for them. So the innkeeper provides this place for them in the stable. Now understand the stable. Understand how nasty that is. Understand that this is the place where cattle and all the animals are gathered. The manger that she places him in is the feeding trough for these animals. The feeding place. Imagine the smell of all the droppings of the animals there in that moment. Leon Morris in his commentary on the book of Luke says it like this. We know only that everything points to poverty, obscurity, and even rejection. This is no clean, nice, rich, lavishing place for Mary to have Jesus. The Savior of the world, the Messiah, 
you would think would have this wonderful, miraculous, gorgeous place to be born. And yet he comes in the most humble of ways and is born in a manger. Kent Hughes says it like this, and he says it so perfectly. The Son of God was born into the world not as a prince, but as a pauper. We must never forget that this is where Christianity began and where it always begins with a sense of need, a graced sense of one's insufficiency. Christ himself, setting the example, comes to the needy. He is born only in those who are poor in spirit. Take a moment to marvel at this. This humble way for our Savior to be born. To come. He's lying there in a manger where cattle would eat. Where they would use the bathroom. This is the king of the world. This is the one who was there with God in the beginning. John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. King of kings, there in the beginning. In the moment in the garden where God creates everything, and he says, let us make man in our image. This same Savior comes in the flesh to us and is born in this most humble way, the promised Redeemer arrives in the humblest way. The second thing we see in this passage is that the promised Redeemer arrives to and for ordinary people. Verse 8 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Luke transitions here and changes the scene of what we're seeing. We go from seeing what he says about the birth to seeing now the shepherds out in the field. They're keeping watch over their flocks. They're doing what they do 24-7. And verse 9 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I bet they were. Can you imagine being there in that moment? And these angels show up and they, they come to proclaim what has taken place. God does it here with these angels. You see, here in the first century, when a new um, person was born, a family would take their money and they would hire a herald to go out and proclaim what has been done. And in this moment, you would think, because God's son has been born, that God would take his message. The angels would go and they would herald the news. At Christmas time, we sing, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. That's where we get this from. And we see here in this moment that these angels show up to herald the good news of what has been done with Christ Jesus' birth. You would think they would go to the religious leaders at the time. You would think they would go to the high priest. But instead, no, 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 they go to the shepherds. Now, who were the shepherds? The shepherds were ordinary people. The shepherds were viewed as the outcast of society. They were not looked very friendly upon. 
At times, the youngest son would be a shepherd, but if you could not afford a slave, then that would happen to the son, but normally it would be a slave. The religious leaders, they looked down upon these shepherds because they couldn't be there to worship because they were tending to the flock 24-7. These shepherds stunk. They were not looked friendly upon. People wanted nothing to do with them. They missed that temple worship most of the time because of taking care of their sheep. Yet God chooses in this moment to send his herald, his message to the shepherds. Have you ever felt at a time like you were a shepherd? You ever felt like at times that you were an outcast, that, that you couldn't do anything right? I want to take a moment to look at this and just say to you, no matter who you are, no matter what you think you've done, if you're a Christian and you say, well, God wants nothing to do with me now because I've done this, remember that the blood of Jesus that was shed at Calvary covered your sin. If you're sitting there and you're listening right now and maybe you have no connection with our church, maybe you, you are not a Christian, but you just so happen to be passing through online and you saw this video and you're listening at this moment, I want to let you know that although you feel worthless, that although you feel like there's nothing that is good that can come from your life, God sent his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to be the one who would go to the cross and bear God's wrath so that the way between man and God would be made right again. That is King Jesus. That is who we are talking about here in this birth. No matter what you have in your life that you turn to to be fulfilled, and it always turns it upside down and you never get fulfilled from it, there is one who can fulfill you. There is one who can sustain you, and his name is Jesus Christ. third thing we see is that the promised redeemer is the fulfilled good news the promised redeemer is the fulfilled good news look at verse 10 and the angel said to them fear not for behold i bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people this is good news the good news is the gospel. The good news is that God's redemptive plan is now moving forward. When we end the Old Testament and we come to the New Testament, there is 400 years of silence between man and God. God does not initiate any kind of communication. Yet in this moment, boom, Christ Jesus is born. And the plan is enabled. It is started. It is happening. The gospel, it is good news because what we talked about last week with the proto-evangelium, Genesis 3.15, and the promise of what God told the serpent there in that moment, that although you will bruise Jesus' heel, he will crush your head, and Jesus crushes it at the cross. That is the good news. That is why it is good news for all people. That is why it is great joy. It is great joy because the prophecies are now coming true. It's all coming to happen together all at once. God is making this happen. Now remember what we read earlier. We read earlier in Isaiah 
chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 6. It says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. This son, this is that is given, it is Christ Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. At last there is the one who comes to reign supreme over all people. Remember what Jesus says in the Great Commission. At the end of the time, right before he ascends to be with the Father, he tells his disciples that he is with us always to the end of the age. But before he says that, before he tells them to go, he says that all authority has been given to me. He is the one who the government shall reign and be upon his shoulder. That next part says in Isaiah 6, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Those two words, Wonderful Counselor, it can be translated for wondrous signs and the giving of wise counsel. Of course, Jesus, as he would grow into his ministry, he would do these wonderful signs and, and, and so many people would see all the things that he would do. And of course, he's a wonderful counselor because of his teachings. We see it all through the New Testament and the Gospels. Anytime that Jesus spoke, it was this wonderful counsel. Speaking a lot of the times in parables. We see all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. All of these powerful teachings of Christ Jesus. Not only is he a wonderful counselor, he is mighty God. Comes from those two words, obviously God being divine and mighty, this idea of a warrior. He's this mighty warrior. He is this warrior who is also God. He is the God-man, fully God and fully man. Everlasting Father. He's almost like this fatherly figure to his followers as he's here on this earth. But as a king does as well, looking out for his people. He's the everlasting father because he is eternal. And because of all that we're seeing right now in this life with all the craziness that's going on and the chaos that is literally raging around us every time we turn on the television right now because of this virus... The last part there of 9-6 says, Prince of Peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He is the one who brings peace. Because of his finished work at the cross, he brings, he brings peace between man and God again. Because he is the way. He is the one who can bring peace to us right now. To our weary souls at the time of this chaos that is happening around us. At a time where we have to move from gathering together corporately in a large gathering to meeting online. At a time where we are scared to death to go out into stores because we're scared a virus will, will get us and we will become sick. At a time where fear is wanting to continually take over our lives. Remember that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We've quoted it a lot here over the last couple of weeks. But right there in Paul's letter when we finished 
the book of Philippians a few weeks ago, we, we highlighted there in chapter 4 how it says to not be anxious about anything, but in all things with prayer and supplication, make your requests be made known to God with thankfulness. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace of God, it does surpass all understanding. Christian, let me, let me tell you something right now. If you are worried, I understand where you're coming from. I understand that you are fearful about what is happening right now with this pandemic that is going all over this world. And I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I want you to know that this does not surprise God. You know who you are in him. You know that he reigns supreme over this world. You know that he is in control. You know that his will is going to be done. You know that he is going to get the glory. So because you know that, I want to challenge you. Lean into him and trust him. Because he is the prince of peace. He is the one who gives peace that surpasses all understanding. He is the one who will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. Verse 9 of Isaiah chapter, or excuse me, verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 9 says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. You see there it says that the peace will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, I, I mentioned a moment ago, the fact that Joseph being of the lineage, that is very important because all the Old Testament prophecies lean to that. Here again, this prophecy, it talks about how he, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Oh, God has done this. His plan has been enabled. His plan has been fulfilled with Christ Jesus and his death at Calvary. Lastly, from verse 10 of Luke 2, not only does it say, I bring you good news of great joy, but it says there that it will be for all the people. For all the people. Now we know here in Luke's writing that he's writing and he's including these Gentiles that are, that are going to be reading this. And for us, that's good news because if it is for all the people, it opens the door for those of us who are considered Gentiles. Because the finished work of Jesus and his blood that is shed at Calvary makes it so that anyone who would profess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead would be saved. From this passage... Just a little bit later in chapter 2, Mary and Joseph follow the customary procedures and they go to present Jesus in the temple. And there in the temple is a very devout man named Simeon. And Simeon is there and he was promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And so Mary and Joseph, they come in to present Jesus in the temple. And Simeon sees him and he proclaims this song of praise to God for keeping his promise. And Simeon says there in Luke 2.32, a light for revelation 
revelation, excuse me, to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This is good news because it is for Gentiles. It is for all who would believe. This is Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. The fulfillment of Isaiah 9 that talks about the coming Messiah, the child that would be born. He is fulfilled. The promised Redeemer arrives in the humblest of ways. The promised Redeemer comes and arrives to and for ordinary people. And the promised Redeemer arrives and is the fulfillment of the good news. I want to encourage you right now. At this time, we, we usually take a few moments to, to pray before the Lord and to ask him what it is that he is calling us to do based on what we've heard and what we've heard in song and what we've heard in the message today. And you should see on your screen right now where it says homesavenue.com forward slash contact. I want to encourage you, whomever you are, wherever you are, if the Lord has spoken to you in this moment, and you feel the Spirit drawing near, and you want to respond in some way, please just go there and, and fill out that, and let us know what God has done for you in this moment. Maybe you don't know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but you want to know. You want to know about this Jesus that was born, that would go to the cross, and that would die for you, to be resurrected to new life on the third day. Tell us about that. Maybe you right now feel that you want to profess Jesus Christ as Lord. And you're wondering, what, what does that mean? What does it take to do that? Well, it's understanding the fact, just like the band that sang today, the guys are in the sound booth, myself, all of us came to a point where we realized that we needed Christ Jesus because we were sinners separated from God. And at the divine moment, God sent Jesus Christ, as we talked about today, to live a perfect sinless life that would eventually go to the cross at Calvary and die, bearing the wrath of God. In my and your place. And what it takes is understanding that he became sin who knew no sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God. It takes understanding that you are a sinner and that you need a savior. You need to cry out to Jesus to save your soul. Maybe you want to share that with us. I want to encourage you to go there and do that. Maybe you have a prayer request. Maybe there's just something going on and you need prayer. Go there and fill that out. For, for just the next couple of moments, it may seem a little awkward on a live stream, but I'm, I'm very convinced that this is what the Lord would have us do every time at this moment. But I want you just to, to be where you are, whether you're with your family or whomever you're with. Take a moment in quiet reflection. Reflect on what God has said today and what your response needs to be to him. In a few moments, I will pray. And then the band will come forward to lead us in a closing song. Let's pray.
Father God, Lord, we come before you now. And Lord, we thank you that what you once said in your word in the Old Testament through Isaiah about this one Messiah that would come, Lord, that he has come. We thank you, Lord, that we see it here in Luke's account of the Gospels. That Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the one who would go to take our place at Calvary, came in the most humble of ways. He was born in a manger. Lord, thank you so much for the image of what that portrays to us. Because you would be the one, Jesus, who would be the suffering servant. That would take on God's wrath in my place and in anyone that's listening's place. Bearing our sin, although you never once sinned. Bearing our sin on that cross. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that in that moment when that happened, as that was being poured out, the wrath of God was being poured out on King Jesus. Father, that, Lord, you made the way. You made the way so that when you died on that cross and you yielded up your spirit and you were taken off of the cross and you were put inside of the tomb, three days later you would raise to new life. You would resurrect from the dead, defeating death. Therefore, the curtain of the temple torn in two. Therefore, a mediator no longer needed. Therefore, all we needed is to cry out to Jesus to save our soul. Thank you for what you have done. Father, I pray for everyone that is listening right now. Lord, no matter what they are going through, no matter what they are dealing with, no matter how anxious they may be because of all that is going on around them, I trust, Lord, that you are who you say you are. You are the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. So I pray that your peace that passes all understanding would truly guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would trust you for who you say you are. Because you have proven yourself over and over and over again. Father, as we sing this last song, Lord, as your spirit is at work right now, Father, I pray, Lord, that people would reach out to us, that they would fill out a form online and tell us what it is that you're speaking to them about. Lord, that they would send us a message on Facebook. Lord, that they would get in contact with us whatever way possible, no matter where they are, to say, I need this Jesus. I pray, Father, that you be glorified, that you would increase, that we would decrease, that you would get all the glory, honor, and praise. We love you and we bless you in Christ's name. Amen.